It's wonderful to be with you this morning, and um, the service has been uh, absolutely moving uh, for me this morning, I, and I don't know about you, uh, but the children's sermon uh, was, uh, I, I should just let Judy come on up here. Uh, <laughs> uh, that might be one of my favorite children's sermons of all time, I think. Uh, she did a wonderful job uh, expressing to you uh, and, and to the kids uh, what's going on with the day of Pentecost, right, which is today. Um, when somebody, <laughs> when I knew it was Pentecost and I thought, you know, who, sh- who, who should we have do the uh, children's sermon? I didn't actually make the call. Judy was already doing it. And then I was talking with Beth Davis and uh, Beth was asking me, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I said, well, I don't really know yet. <laughs> and then I said, but I do know this much. It's Pentecost and uh, and then I put together that Judy is doing the children's sermon, and I thought, I don't think there is a better individual in our church body uh, to, to present uh, what she did this morning. And when one's giftings and passions uh, meet up with the needs uh, of our church body or the world that is around us, uh, you know something's going right, uh, and you know God is in that. Uh, and that, that's what I saw this morning, so thank you, Judy. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, our Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and Holy Spirit, who resides within us and speaks to us and moves through us, God, we come this morning to worship you, to offer our praise to you, to listen to you, and to be changed by you. God, I pray in these moments here that we have together uh, that the words that come out of my mouth indeed be not mine but yours, or at least the words that go into the ears of the hearer be not mine but yours. And that somewhere along the way, Lord, uh, that these feeble attempts at at making some sense of something uh, become God's word. God, uh, We pray this morning that you continue to move and that your spirit continue to move as it already has been. We are thankful for this church body, for South Run Baptist Church, that comes together uh, to meet together in order to indeed praise and worship you. Uh, But Lord, we also uh, will leave this place, and I pray that our praise and worship here is such that it shapes us to continue that praise and that worship into our ordinary lives, into our weekday lives. Lord, we lift all of this up to you. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. This morning, uh, we begin something new. We uh, are going to begin to talk about one of our core values, which happens to be sanctuary, uh, and uh, there is, I will say, I'm actually like really excited about uh, not just today, but honestly, the coming weeks. I don't know what's going to happen in the coming weeks uh, as far as my sermons go, uh, but I do know this, that it feels right. I get the sense that something's happening and that, well, frankly, for the last year with COVID-19, 
It has brought all sorts of, of course, problems to the world. We all know what those are. But I think it has offered us this grand opportunity that at least as your pastor, I plan on taking full advantage of. And it's this, is that we've not been meeting in any sort of normalcy uh, for over a year now. And because of that, there's been something of a, a clearing of the table and a settling of the dust now. And we can come at things with a different perspective. And this is what I hope to do. I hope over the course of this summer, uh, both through this sermon series uh, and uh, on into the next, that we begin to think about what it means to be the church, what it means to live into this one value, in particular, sanctuary, if we are indeed a sanctuary, we're not just in a sanctuary here, but we are a sanctuary, what does that mean? How How does that change us? How does that shape us? And I think uh, this value in particular, uh, actually they all have tons of layers, but uh, this one, uh, I I just want to peel back layer after layer after layer of what this could mean. And I think the scriptures have a ton to say about this. In fact, we have a Sunday school class right now, Clint and Greg are are going through uh, this, uh, in some ways, this very thing what it means to be a sanctuary, or, or, or what happens in Scripture is, is we get God in uh, the tabernacle and, and in the temple, and then we get Jesus coming along, and Jesus is saying things like, I am the temple, right? And then Paul saying crazier things yet, which is that you and I are temples, right? Uh, and uh, we realize that what this means is incredibly profound, not just in some sort of like theological headspace, but for our daily like walking lives, ordinary lives, what we do on a, on a regular basis when we go to school or when we go to work, wherever we might be. It changes everything if we really consider ourselves as sanctuaries in the individual sense, in the collective sense, In some ways, this does tie back into what I've uh, been going through for seven weeks and what we've all been going through together, which is Jesus is. And so we could have done a sermon on Jesus is the temple. And if we had, then what I would have done is say, well, yes, Jesus is the temple, and then now so are we, right? And this is kind of what we're doing, and, and, we're, and we're pouring back into what it means for Jesus to be the temple and therefore for the church to be this kind of sanctuary. I've begun to think in terms uh, of, of two things. Uh, sanctuary as a, uh, well, maybe three things. Sanctuary as a person, right, or, or people embodied. Sanctuary as a space, right? We are in a sanctuary here, but I actually think it extends beyond here. I've begun to think about our property, for example, as a whole. We have been gifted with this beautiful property. Some of the guys and I uh, went out yesterday, and and we were uh, in the creek bed just kind of clearing it out, and it was remarkable. Uh, uh, I think most of them had never really considered uh, just how much property, first of all, we have, and second of all, how beautiful it is. And if you've not been down the paths, and if you've not walked along this, you really need to. This is something that God has given to our congregation and it is an enormous resource that we should be using. My new motto for properties, I haven't told Don Cheney this yet, but I probably should, is every square inch, 
every square inch, right? Which I stole from my mother-in-law's church <laughs> uh, for this other thing that they do. But I like the phrase, every square inch, because uh, frankly, we have a lot of inches on this property. And if we turn every one of those inches into a sanctuary space, where we come and where we can find God's presence in every one of those square inches, well, how, how remarkable will that be, right? I think the prayer garden itself is a testament uh, to the uh, turning something that was nothing, it was literally just a, a spot between two parking lots, turning it into a holy place where you can go and you can uh, rest in nature and you can pray. This is what I have in mind, right? This, th this is what it means to have a sanctuary and to be a sanctuary and for a property to be a sanctuary. I don't know if uh, uh, this has ever happened to you, but uh, I credit my wife for this, but uh, there are many people who have entered our home uh, and who have said, you know, there's just something different about being in your house. It, it feels uh, good, right? It, it feels natural, and it feels like home. It feels like a home, right? Like, and uh, I, again, credit to Kendall here, uh, but the, the sense of creating your home as a, a sanctuary of sorts, so that God's presence, again, is felt when somebody walks through your front door. They think to themselves, well, something's different about this place, right? The third, I mentioned three things. Uh, so, sanctuary as a person, sanctuary as a place. Uh, but the other topic I'll touch on over the, the coming weeks here is one that I've been fascinated by of late, which is this idea of sanctuary as time. And uh, one of the more famous books on the Sabbath uh, is written by a Jewish scholar named Abraham Heschel. Uh, and he talks uh, about the Sabbath being, he doesn't call it a, a sanctuary in time, he calls it a cathedral in time, which is a pretty beautiful image, right? But it's this idea that we order our time. We, we make all time sacred, not just the Sabbath. We use that Sabbath as an anchor to make all of it sacred, right? To, to make it all holy. These are the sorts of things I want to unpack over the coming weeks. We will have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Today is indeed Pentecost. And I don't need to refresh uh, what Judy has already said about Pentecost. She did a wonderful job. It's found in Acts 2. And in Acts 2, what you get is exactly what she described, which is the disciples in an upper room waiting on God to return. And what do they get? Well, they get a, a rushing wind, and they get the tongues of fire, and both of these are representative uh, of, of God's very presence, right? And God being poured out upon these people. And then what happens next? Well, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And something is fundamentally different after this point. This is the beginning, Acts 2, is the beginning of the founding of the church. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. 
And now you no longer have to uh, make some sort of trek to uh, Jerusalem in order to get to the temple, in order to find God in this place. Now suddenly God is coming to you through the church. And by that I mean the members of the church. Again, you and I. God is present within us. We become sanctified. We become that holy place. We become the sanctuary. And this is exactly what is happening in Acts 2 and in Pentecost. I actually love the day of Pentecost. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, uh, but I was... um, I, I enjoy uh, the church calendar, as you probably know by now, uh, but for one reason is because it gives us these anchors, just like the Sabbath anchors us to a week, and then we can uh, process out from there what it would mean to have sacred time. Well, so also we get these anchors throughout the year, and one of these happens to be Pentecost, where we get the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we, we celebrated Lent, a number of weeks ago now, and we had this service at 7 a.m., and for those of you who, who were at it, uh, at the time I was uh, really ruminating on a song that, that hit me uh, again. It, it's by an artist from years ago, Rich Mullins. Uh, it just kind of got redone, uh, and, and the song is titled, You Are Not As Strong As You Think You Are, and that is a very Lenten sort of thing to say. Lent is a great time to remind us of our frailty and of our weakness as we head toward the cross, right? But Pentecost, Pentecost is trying to tell us something quite different. It's trying to tell us that you are much stronger than you think you are because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. So this is what I love about uh, uh, the church. We hold these two things together, right? These two seemingly different things. You are not as strong as you think you are. I believe that. I also believe you are much stronger than you think you are. And depending on the day, the time, uh, whatever occasion you're in, you need one of those messages. Maybe you need both at the same time. And so Pentecost is here to tell us that we are stronger than we think we are, and not because of our own selves. Please hear that. Because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit given to us through Jesus Christ after his death and resurrection that he promised to us. But today's scriptures are not actually about Acts 2. They are indeed instead about Genesis and Revelation. As Matt rightly said, We get the bookends here, right? We get the very front of your Bible, and we get the very back of your Bible. And now, why in the world would I have uh, chosen these two passages uh, as something uh, to get us kicked off into a series on being a sanctuary? Well, the answer in my mind is simple, because these two moments represent what life should be like. I'm resisting, I'm going to use some German words. Uh, the, the Eden story, it's, the German word for it is Urzeit. It, it's the time before, right? 
And then the uh, New Jerusalem story is the insight. It's the, the time after, the time to come. Now, we all live in that in-between space where things are quite a lot messier, frankly. But we look to the beginning, and we look to the end, and we think to ourselves, well, here we have an ideal of what we should be aiming at, of what life should be like, what humanity should be like, what our relationship to God should be like. And so we have this Eden ideal that is worth exploring because whenever we find a sanctuary in real life, in our scriptures, wherever uh, we might find a sanctuary, what we're finding, well, in some ways, is, is, is like a copy or a, or a signpost pointing to those two places, to an Eden or to a New Jerusalem. Because that's what it should be like all the time. It just so happens right now we're not living in those times. And we await those times, right? We're, we're hoping for that to come around again. And so we start, well, we start with the Eden ideal, what it's like to live in the Garden of Eden. And so Eden, I do believe, is a sanctuary. And there are two things, two characteristics that I, that I want to highlight. It's, it's going to be that simple today, just these two things. And the first is this. All sanctuaries, Eden especially, New Jerusalem especially as well, it's all about the presence of God. It's all about the presence of God. This sanctuary right here, right now, if God is not present in this place, then we are not doing it right. Then something has gone wrong on a Sunday morning, right? That, that is what we, we sing about, in fact. We, we come for the presence of God. This idea is ripe throughout uh, your, your biblical narrative. It's all through it. This is the, this is the grand hope. E Ezekiel, for example. Uh, you get to the end of Ezekiel, and there's this, uh, the, Ezekiel's telling us uh, about how uh, Jerusalem, Israel has been destroyed, and it's a terrible time, and then it gives this vision of the new Jerusalem uh, in chapters 40 to 48, and then it gets to the very end of the book, and it says that once everything is made right, the very last line say, the Lord, they're going to change the name uh, of the city of Jerusalem to the Lord is here. That's the new name to Jerusalem, right? The Lord is here. And why? Because God's presence and living amidst God's presence is what we all should desire. This is the grand hope. This is what was happening in Eden. This is what will happen in the new Jerusalem. And it's what happens on just rare occasions here and there uh, in this life, right? We get these glimpses. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, tells us that when things were going right with Adam and Eve, it says that they were naked and not ashamed. There was no shame in what was happening at this moment, right? That they... Uh, that there needed to be no boundary between them and God, them and one another. 
And then they eat of the fruit, and we all know what happens next, right? We read it today. And what happens? Well, in verse 10, it says that after eating from the tree, Adam says to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, right? I heard the sound of you in the garden, God, and I was afraid. How did he know to be afraid? When did fear enter the picture between Adam and God? I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. And why? Because I was naked. And so I hid myself. This is a breakdown of sanctuary. Because a sanctuary should be a place of peace. And it should be a place of safety. And if you're in a place of safety, there's no need for fear. And there's no need for what Adam says here to hide oneself. And so what you see in this moment is the breakdown between God and humanity that will only continue. There's fear. There's a lack of safety on Adam's part. And so this covering up that happens in they, they make for themselves the fig leaves, right? So they, they cover themselves up in front of God, and this is something that we'll see over and over and over again with other encounters with God in the Bible. One example would be Israel. Well, they want Moses, who had just been up the, the mountain, and he's down, and Moses has on him the radiance of God, and they make Moses put a veil over himself, right? And Why? Because there's a fear there. They don't want to get too close to the divine. And so they make him put on an article of clothing. In this case, a veil. They were afraid, and they wanted this barrier between them and God's representative, that is, Moses. But the Eden ideal is not a veil. Paul says this in Romans as well. So he says uh, that uh, one day uh, that this veil is taken down with the person of Jesus Christ, right? And that now we have access to God in a way that we just didn't before. And that we desire this full presence of God. And God and humanity living together as it was intended to be. Well, that's the, the Eden ideal, this is what we see in the book of Revelation 21 and 22, part of which we read today. And in Revelation 21, verse 3, we hear this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Right? And here we get it again. We get this full presence of God. And this is the Eden ideal. This is what it means to be in a sanctuary. This is what it means to be a sanctuary. It's to embody the full presence of God within you, within our congregation, on our property, in people, in places, and even in time. 
The second thing that I want to say about sanctuary this morning is that it is intended to be a place of rest. Rest and refuge. Um, there are times that uh, church life does not feel restful. Right? I, I know that, especially at a church like ours, where we need lots of volunteers, and we need you to, to step up and, and to do things. And, and I would want you to know that we're trying our best to find ways to make church a place where we can all come and rest together, or we can come and at least be rejuvenated together. And so there's this conundrum that happens in the Eden ideal, which is, I mean, are Adam and Eve just like sitting around eating bonbons all day? And the answer to that is actually no. When I first got to the church, uh, my very first sermon, I... (laughs) You might have thought I was crazy, uh, but my very first sermon here was on rest. And then the next Sunday was on work. <laughs> and uh, I remember talking to uh, the former pastor, Pastor Wayne. Uh, he called me that morning, uh, the, the, the first morning, to, to let me know he was praying for me. And, and First Baptist Alexandria was praying for us. And, uh, and then uh, he and, and Don, the pastor there, uh, they said, so what are you preaching on this morning? And I said, rest. And then there's kind of like this awkward silence, like, <laughs> like uh, oh, oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, but I'll say this about that choice. Uh, I don't feel the need to defend it necessarily, but I'll say uh, this is important to me. Uh, and it's important in a way that I think uh, is perhaps easily misunderstood. You see, I don't think, again, the Eden ideal uh, of rest is something uh, where we're just not working, where Adam and Eve are eating bonbons all day, because I don't think that's what they were doing. In fact, what happens is God takes six days to work and to labor, creating the earth, right? And then on the seventh day, what does he do? He rests. And then he says, all right, here's your paradigm. This, this is what it means to be a human. You work and, and you have a Sabbath, right? And it turns out that when God plants the garden and then he puts Adam and Eve into the garden, he tells them that they do have work. In fact, he says that they've got two things to do. And I mentioned it uh, uh, either last week or the week before that. And what they have to do is is that they have to work it and uh, keep it or protect it, right? And, And so he's literally telling them, I'm putting you in the garden, and you've got work to do. And yet, it is a restful place, and it is a place uh, of sanctuary, where God is fully present. And so how do we square that, right? This idea of both resting and working simultaneously. How, how do we square that? Because even in Eden, and I imagine in the New Jerusalem, it's not going to be any different. There will be work in the New Jerusalem, right? So what gives? What's going to happen in that moment? What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like uh, with my example from yesterday. So the group of us that went out, uh, we, we cleared uh, some uh, huge, I was going to say branches, but they were frankly just trees. Like they were trees that had fallen over and we got, we got chainsaws out and, and we chopped them up and we moved them off 
so that we could get the water flowing again. Now, technically, not technically, it is work, right? I felt it this morning in my when, when I woke up. But I had a wonderful time yesterday, and it was life-giving. And when we were done, I felt really good. But when we were doing it, I felt really good as well. And so we're working, yes, but we're also simultaneously Resting is not necessarily the right word there, but it's, it's something that gives life. But there's more than that, actually, because this word, uh, John Turner reminded me of this yesterday, uh, and I, he and I, I think, are on uh, the same uh, wavelength here. Uh, the word for work in our Old Testament is abad, and the word itself actually also gets used as worship. These are the same word, two different English meanings, work and worship. And so there's this sense in which our work, our laboring, it is regenerative on one level, and guess what? Not only do I delight in it, but it turns out that God does too, and that our labors can be uh, genuine worship of God. I think there's something incredibly powerful to this. Because it, it doesn't mean that you have to be something super spiritual in order to be worshiping God. You don't have to be in a sanctuary like this. You don't have to have a job like mine, right? You can have your nine-to-five uh, daily grind that you go to. But if you are doing it in such a way that it brings life to the world, life to you, life around you, I don't doubt at all that that's probably worship to God. We have a lot to talk about over these coming weeks, and I'm running out of time today. Actually, I have a bunch of notes here. So this is fun for me. I don't usually preach like this, but what I've started to do is now I've just have a... We, we got so far in my notes, and uh, it's 12.01, and so you know what? I'm going to save the rest of this for next time, and we'll move on. Here's what I would finish. <laughs> My daughter's clapping. Uh. <clears throat> Here's what I would finish with. God is doing something in our church. I have no doubt about this. And I am really excited about what that is. You see, I get the sense that we are in the midst of a building process. We may not be building a new building, but we are building something. We're building the church. And in this way, we trust that God and the Holy Spirit are leading the way and that we are following the movements of the Holy Spirit. And as we think about our future together, not just over the next weeks, but into the fall, into the next year, into the years beyond, I want us to begin to think about what it would mean to build a church that truly is a sanctuary from top to bottom. Every single person in it is a sanctuary. Every square inch of the ground is a sanctuary. And the time that you and I construct together to create our church calendars, uh, our church weeks, well, it too is a sanctuary. 
that would be a beautiful thing. And to use Judy's example, I'm pretty sure that would be letting our light shine to the world that is around us. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, on this day, 2,000 years ago, you were poured out on those disciples. And that began to shape a new way of being in the world. Because it's not just about the individual who is saved or who is filled with the Holy Spirit, but it's about the church who is unified together in that same spirit. God, as we go forward, as I said, I am thrilled about what stands before us. I look forward to what is to come. But God, we know that it is only through you and your leading that anything is productive at all. That anything for your kingdom, anything that will last, must first and foremost begin with you, which is why we always start with that other value of ours, that we are grounded in Jesus Christ, in the person and the work of Christ. We do not lose sight of that, and so we thank you for that, and we praise you. Amen.